welcome. If you're a guest with us, double welcome to you. It's wonderful to have you with us this morning. We're so glad you're here. Especially if you're a family, maybe that's uh, visiting from out of town, welcome. It's good to have you in our midst. We're here to uh, uh, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. You've probably noticed that we're going to do things a little differently today. We are going to have a baptism this morning. John Walter is getting baptized. Woo! Yeah. However, there's no water in the baptistry this morning. Charlie didn't come and fill it up and, and have it freeze overnight and we break the ice like we normally do. John is not going to be dunked today. Instead, we're going to have a pouring. Instead of baptism by immersion, we're going to be doing baptism by affusion. A-F-F-U-S-I-O-N. Affusion. Pouring. Normally, when we do a baptism here at Lance Free Church, we fully immerse the one being baptized. Is that the baptee? Is that what that is? The baptee into the water because of this. Because the Greek word baptizo literally means to dip under. And all of the baptisms in the Bible were by immersion, including Jesus' baptism. Baptism by immersion, we believe, best symbolizes our inclusion in Jesus' death and what have we been singing about? His resurrection. As Romans 6 says, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. But, but what if you can't be immersed? You're physically unable. What do we do then? Well, I've been doing a little reading in church history about the history of baptism in the first few centuries after the Bible was completed. Scholar Tim Dowley writes in his Introduction to the History of Christianity that in the early church, quote, baptism was normally by immersion either in the river or in the bathhouse of a large house. They didn't have church buildings with big bathtubs in the front like we do. The the hot tub that we've got back there. The person, back to the quote, that wasn't in Tim Dowley's. The person was normally immersed three times. That's interesting, isn't it? In response to three questions about belief in the three persons of the Trinity. From the early second century, listen, baptism by pouring of water was allowed in cases of emergency or sickness. These baptisms by effusion were called kleine baptisms from the Greek word for bed, kleine. We get our word, what word do we get from that word? Any of those poker playing nurses tell us what it is? It's uh, clinical. Okay, we get the word kleine, we get the word clinical from that word kleine or um, a hospital bed. So when you were laid up and you believed in Christ and you were on your hospital bed and you couldn't get to the river because of some physical ailment, the early church decided to do baptism by effusion, by pouring. There's a book written in the second century called the Didache, or if you're Italian, the Didazzi, which I, I threw that in for fun. That's not how you say it. The Didache, which isn't part of the Bible, but was an early guide for pastors and disciples in discipleship and church leadership. Listen to what Chapter 7 of the Didache says about baptism. But concerning baptism, thus baptize ye, 
having first recited all these precepts, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in running water, meaning in a river. But if thou hast not running water, baptize in some other water. And if thou canst not baptize in cold, in warm water. You hear that, John? We're supposed to use cold water. That's what Keith wanted to do. He wanted to put some ice cubes in one of these pitchers back here. Maybe he did. You might have to wonder, which one is it? You know. No, actually, they are very warm and toasty this morning. Verse 3 of the Didache, chapter 7. But if thou hast neither, pour water three times on the head in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that's the early tradition that we're going to follow this morning. Some of you will remember that John was going to be baptized back at New Year's, the same day as Keith Hurley and Dottie Isaacson were. But he and Jeannie were in a car accident. We were praying for you on Sunday morning. We were already struggling to figure out how to do John's immersion because of his prosthesis. But when we learned about the damage done to his back in the accident, we decided it was best to do a kleine effusion. Or in English, we're going to pour water on him. But before we do that, here's a question for you. Is pouring also a biblical picture of the gospel of our resurrected Lord? Is pouring water on someone also a biblical picture of the gospel of our resurrected Lord? I believe it is, and I want to show you a key passage in the Bible. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. If you have your own Bible, turn to Titus chapter 3. If you don't have your own Bible, grab one of those black Bibles from the rack in front of you and turn to Pew Bible page 1183. Pew Bible 1183. Find Titus, that's the book. It's kind of like the, uh, the, the city, right? If you're looking for locations, find that city, Titus. And then the chapter is 3. That's the big number. It's kind of like the street number. And then find specifically verse 3. That's the little tiny number. It's like the house number. And you know you found it. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Pew Bible page 1183. Believe it or not, verses 4 through 7 are one long passage. I'm sorry, one long sentence in the original Greek. Verses 4 through 7. Paul loved his long sentences. And this was a glorious one. Let me read it to you. Paul is writing to Titus, Pastor Titus, to help him to apply the gospel to the disciples on the island of Crete. That's the island in the Mediterranean. You know where the Crete, where that is? There was a, a little young church there, and Titus was in charge of it. And Paul was sending him a letter to say, here's how you teach the disciples in that church how to apply the gospel. And here, towards the end of his letter, Paul reminds Titus of just what the gospel is. We need those reminders, don't we? It's so easy to forget the good news. That's, in fact, why we meet every Sunday here. Not just on Resurrection Sunday, but every Sunday to rehearse the gospel with one another. To remind ourselves of the good news and all of its implications for life. So Paul reminds Titus, verse 3, you ready? At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, 
He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Would you pray with me? Father, we have sung such glorious gospel truth, and now we're going to get it straight from the source. Thank you for the good news about what Jesus did for us. We need it so badly. And here it is in him. We pray, Father, for John as he prepares to share his testimony and be baptized. And we pray for us that we would be prepared to hear your good news afresh and anew. Speak to our hearts, Lord, this morning. Use me if you can. Work around me if you must. But speak to our hearts through your word. We pray it in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen. Isn't this a beautiful statement of the gospel? A beautiful summary of the good news of Jesus Christ. And those words in the middle, He saved us. That's glorious, isn't it? What could be better news than that? Of course, all good news must begin with the bad news. The bad news is we sure need saving. Look at, listen to verse 3 again and see how Paul puts himself in there. And so should we. He says, it's not just the Cretans. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That is bad news. I don't know about you, but I don't like to think about myself like that. But it's true. Left to my own self, verse 3 is a description of what I was deep down inside. And what Paul says he was too. Paul was a very religious man. Probably the most religious man of his day. And yet he said, if you looked inside of me, verse 3. It's true of everybody, no matter how nice they are on the outside. By the way, John is a very nice person. I've always liked John ever since I... Met him at that Good News cruise a few years back. I don't know anybody who doesn't like John, and I can't imagine why they wouldn't. But being a nice guy will not save you. And we all need saved. Verse 3 is not pretty, but it's true. Just open your newspaper. Wake up your computer and turn on Facebook. Check your social media. Look into the mirror. And you will find verse 3. Foolishness. Disobedience. Enslaved by passions and pleasures. Passions and pleasures are fine, but when they take over your life. Malice, that's hate. Envy, that's want. Yeah, no, that's bad. And that's our world. And deep down... That is us. We need saving. But here is the good news, friends. We've been singing about it all all morning. God sent a Savior. Look at the B-U-T in verse 4. But 
when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about when Jesus came to earth, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. In other words, when Jesus showed up. That's Christmas. That's the incarnation, the arrival of the Son of God, God the Son. Paul calls Him God our Savior. The Father sent the Son on a rescue mission. And it was successful. He saved us, that is His people, His church, His chosen ones, His disciples. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. That's the best news there ever was. And that's what John Walter has experienced. John has experienced salvation. Jesus has saved John. And that's why he's getting baptized today. Not that baptism will save him. See, that's already happened. But John is getting baptized today to say to the world that he has been saved. And we as a church are baptizing John to say to the world that we too believe that he has been saved. See, John was sprinkled as an infant. And like Keith and Dottie from New Year's baptisms, by by being baptized today, John intends no disrespect to his parents or their religious leaders for their loving him and wanting him to be baptized when he was little. But he has come to believe that baptism is for disciples who believe the gospel to go public with their faith and for the church to confirm and nourish that disciple's faith. So he's going public in baptism today to say... Jesus has saved him. Have you done the same? Have you been saved? And following that, have you been baptized? Look at what Paul says next. He saved us. Now catch this. This is important. Not because of us. Not because of us. He saved us, verse 4, verse 5. He saved us not because of righteous things that we had done. What's the most important word in that sentence? Not. Listen to this. This is very important. This is not what most people think. Most people in the world think that you get saved by doing good works. You get saved by doing more good than bad. You get saved by earning God's favor. You get saved by doing righteous things. That's just not true. That's not the way this works. Put every good work, any good work that you can think of into that sentence. He saved us not because we went to church. He saved us not because we gave money in the offering He saved us not because we got baptized. He saved us not because we cared for the poor. He saved us not because we were really religious. He saved us not because of righteous things that we had done. Now friends, John has done a lot of righteous things. In fact, John has been pretty religious at various times in his life. I'll let him tell his own story. Really, I will. But I can say this. John is not saved because of righteous things that he has done. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do righteous things. We should. Paul is big on doing righteous things. The whole book of Titus is about how to do righteous things and how we should do righteous things because the grace of God has appeared. 
But we are not saved because of righteous things that we have done. He saved us not because of us, but in spite of us. This is glorious, friends. Don't miss this. Look at verse 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. We did not deserve it, but He did it anyway. Friends, we deserved condemnation, but He gave us salvation. Not because of something in us, but because of something in Him. Verse 4 calls it kindness and love. Verse 5 calls it mercy. And verse 7 calls it grace. That's why Jesus saves us. Isn't that awesome? That is such good news because we could never earn our own way. We could never be justified by our works. We could never do enough righteous things to get there. The first year John was here as a part of our church, we were studying the book of Galatians together. In that book, Paul taught that justification, or being righteous, was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And I think John's eyes were opened, his ears were opened, his heart was opened to the gospel of grace. Or as Ephesians 2 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Jesus saves us in spite of ourselves. Do you believe that? You've got to believe that to be saved. Number three, he saved us by washing us. Did you see that at the end of verse 5? I tried to emphasize it when I read it. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously. So here's where we get this idea of pouring, right? Now, is this passage, is Titus 3 about baptism? Well, not directly. No, it does not say anything about water baptism in fact water is not mentioned and the word baptism is not mentioned but i do think that water baptism is a picture of titus 3 5 the washing here is a spiritual washing it is a washing away of our sins by the work of the holy spirit when we come to faith notice that it's the washing of rebirth and renewal that's new birth and new life and a new way of living It's a changed life from the inside out. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. When you and I come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and gives us new birth and new life. It's it's another kind of resurrection. It's a spiritual resurrection inside of us. And, And Paul says that that washes us clean. When I'm teaching my baptism class, We always read this verse. And I ask the students, like I did John when he was in my class, why do we baptize with water and not mud? Or why not Pepsi or Kool-Aid? And the answer is not, they didn't have Pepsi or Kool-Aid in the first century. They, They always say, well, because it's a symbol of washing. It's a symbol of cleansing. 
It's a symbol of purification. So, John, uh, Keith wanted us to use Gatorade. And he wanted us to pour it on you like they do the coach at the end of the football game. Just kidding. We're using water back here to symbolize washing. Not because this water back here is magic, okay? We got this water out of the tap. It has no special properties. I don't say any kind of hocus pocus and change it into anything else. It's just water. But it stands for the Holy Spirit who sure does do something. He washes. He gives new birth. He gives new life. He changes our lives when He is poured out on us, Paul says, generously. An abundant overflow. There is no rule for how much water you use in an effusion baptism. And if John were laid up and very ill, we wouldn't use very much at all. But John is actually really big and very strong. I wouldn't want to arm wrestle him. And he just, he just can't be laid back into the water. So we're going to use an ample amount here this morning. And don't worry, Cindy's got towels ready, okay? We've covered up nearly all the electrical cords up here. And these mats are very absorbent. You remember when the dishwasher broke back there when we had the lightning strike and all the water came rushing out of the dishwasher? It was onto these mats, and they soaked up most of it, okay? So I know all of you who are worried about that, it's all covered, okay? This is very safe. But we're going to use a good amount of water this morning to symbolize the abundant overflow of the Holy Spirit who has washed John with rebirth and renewal. But where does all this come from? How does it come to us? Look again at verse 6. Look for the Trinity here. He, the Father, poured out the Spirit on us generously through the Son, Jesus Christ our Savior, through Jesus. He saved us, not because of us, but in spite of us, by washing us, through Jesus. This salvation comes to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who died on the cross when, it, when love ran red, just like Joe sang. The one who came back from the dead and is risen, just like he said, like Keegan read to us. Look what he has done. He has made us, verse 7, heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And that's not just kind of wishful, wishful kind of hope. Like, I hope there's some Texas sheet cake for my birthday in two weeks. Maybe, maybe not. I hope so. I wish it. This is, in fact, biblical hope. This is knowing with your heart that something good is coming for certain. And we know what that is. That's our own resurrection. Soar we now where Christ has led. Made like Him, like Him we rise. That's new bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. That's eternal life with Jesus forever and ever. Amen. And that's what we have to look forward to because of Jesus. Because He saved us.